Hello, I'm Carrie Ann. Welcome to another service with Pastor Ray Dieter at Grace Baptist Church. Please check out our website, gbcevansville.org. There, you'll find videos of our youth and children's services, daily devotions, and other ministries our church has to offer. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for an in-person service where we'll practice social distancing and follow safety guidelines. Now, let's hear what Pastor Ray has to say. A great appreciation for what this church means in the life of, of our family, in the life of our ministry, and how that uh, you have just been incredible supporters and encouragers of ours across the years. And, and we just want to tell you how much we appreciate you. I, I bring greetings on behalf of my dear wife, Glenda. She wishes that she could be here. Uh, she is having a second knee surgery on Tuesday of this week. She had her first one back in April and went back to uh, the final checkup with the doctor about uh, the recovery of that knee. And he said, uh, when are you going to get the second one done? And she said, I'd like to get it done in this calendar year uh, for obvious insurance purposes. And he said, how about next week? So, uh, so we're on from Tuesday. And so pray for her as she uh, uh, goes through this uh, again. Uh, but uh, good news is she had such a tremendous experience with the first one. She wants to be able to uh, walk without assistance again, and we want to be able to see that happen. You know, this getting old stuff is for the birds. I ain't to tell you. So um, it's hard to imagine that it's been 25 years uh, since we packed up and left. I remember coming in uh, to the back door. We used to have the two services, one on the east side and one over here, and I had come in from the east side service and was coming in and Nadebeck met me at the back door and says, there's a pastor search committee here, and we told him already no. And I said, I don't think that that's your prerogative, but uh, uh, it, was a, it was a painful time uh, to depart, but it is a sweet time to return. And I just want to tell you a little bit about, uh, pastor mentioned about my book. Uh, uh, that's actually the second of two books that I've written about the journey that we've been on in uh, Duluth, Georgia. I left here to go to Savannah. I was there for five years at the Calvary Baptist Temple in Savannah. I went from there to Indianapolis, Indiana, and back to Indiana in eight years at Northside Baptist Church, where I served as the president of the Indiana Baptist Convention. I was elected to that position when the convention was held here. And so I, I thought it how incredibly appropriate that when the convention was held here at Grace Baptist Church, that I would have the opportunity to serve as the president of the Indiana Baptist Convention. And I'm now at the First Baptist Church of Duluth, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta in the near north suburbs of Atlanta. But what many people don't know about our city and, and are amazed to hear is that Duluth is in the sixth most diverse county in America. The sixth most diverse county in America, according to USA Today. Uh, three of the top five ahead of us are the islands of Hawaii. And so it is the third most diverse county in the continental United States. The third most diverse county in the continental United States. When I moved to Duluth in 2010, our neighbors on one side of us are Malaysian Vietnamese. Our neighbors on the other side of us are Korean. Our neighbors behind us are South Asian Indian. Our neighbors across the street from us are from Zimbabwe. At the end of the cul-de-sac, there's a doctor from Puerto Rico. Across the street from them is a three-generation family from Nigeria. And none of those people groups were in my church. And I thought, how am I going to reach my neighbors? 
And how am I going to draw these people into one body in Christ Jesus? Uh, we were in an unfinished plan community, and as houses began to come up around us since 2010, our new neighbors have come from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Honduras, China, Mexico, Ethiopia. And as the incredible diversification was taking place in our community, our church was just dwindling in attendance and influence in the community. Our mayor, who is a member of our church, was giving a State of the City address in 2011, of which I attended to support her as one of our church members, but also to be a good civic-minded pastor in the community. I wanted to say, you know, how can we be of help? How can we be of service to the city? And she made a statement that rocked my world. She said, there are 57 languages spoken at Duluth High School. And so I challenged her after she made that statement. I said, I, I think you misspoke, Mayor. I think you looked at your notes wrong. I'm sure it was supposed to be five to seven. And she said, no, it's 57. Look it up. And so I did. I challenged her and looked it up. Uh, by the way, that number has increased since 2010. It's now at 63 languages are spoken at our local high school. And so I began to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, you've placed me in this incredibly diversifying community. I've got neighbors from literally the uttermost parts of the world. And I know that we as a biblical people want to reach all people for the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to cross those cultural barriers? And the book in which it uh, has been already shared about today is about how the mindset shift had to take place in the life of a congregation that was 99% Anglo in order to become an accepting community of faith that literally reflects the entire world. Fast forward. This morning at First Baptist Church Duluth, there will be a gathering that takes place that has members from 50 different nations at First Baptist Duluth. We have people from 11 different African countries that come to our church. We have live interpretation that's provided with a headset with the three most non-English speaking homes in Duluth, which are Mex uh, uh, Hispanic, Korean, and Mandarin Chinese. The fourth largest is Vietnamese, and we've been praying for a Vietnamese interpreter for the last year. We provide our sermon notes and our, our bulletin in six different languages. And God is continuing to bless. Last year during COVID, we had 27 baptisms from 16 different nationalities. And God is in the process of helping us to reach the world in the local setting at First Baptist Church of Duluth. I was uh, telling your state exec that uh, uh, we've got a wonderful opportunity that's been placed before us. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary has given us the opportunity that if someone will come and do a residency at our church for one year to learn how we have done what we have done, they will give that person 21 credit hours towards a seminary degree so that they can begin the process of learning how to do multicultural ministry. Well, I not just want to share that with you to tell you where I've been and where I come from, but I think there's a biblical mandate that is true for every single church in every single setting that became the impetus of why we did what we did. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. And I want to share with you a message this morning that's entitled, The Die is Cast. 
Now, I was your pastor for the 75th anniversary of Grace Baptist Church. I've now been invited back for the 100th anniversary of Grace Baptist Church. I'm pretty sure that if I uh, don't watch myself and I'm talking about die, uh, games with dice, I will not be invited back for the 125th anniversary. <laughs> but in 49 BC, Julius Caesar led an army to the brink of the Rubicon River and he knew that on this border between Italy and Gaul, that if he crossed the Rubicon River, it would be outside of the territory in which had been, been given to him, and it would, be a, it would be the equivalent of civil war. Literally, he was at the brink of total disaster. To cross the river would be stepping outside of his province, outside of his authority, and it would mean... The war is on. Caesar did cross the Rubicon River that day. And he became the emperor of the Roman Empire as a result of that. While crossing the Rubicon, it is reported as saying that Caesar made the comment, Alia ecta est. The die is cast. Now, I'm not just trying to give you a history lesson this morning, but there are two English phrases that come out of that one historical statement. The first is the crossing of the Rubicon. The crossing of the Rubicon is a boundary or a limitation line, especially that when you cross it, it is a, a decision that is irrevocable. And so you may have heard someone say, I'm crossing my Rubicon. The other is the die is cast. The die is cast is a decision that you will not turn around. You will not back down. This is the line in the sand, as some people say. When I cross this, there's a point of no return. Now, what does that have to do with Grace Baptist Church, and what does that have to do with the 100th anniversary of a church that has obviously been an incredibly effective force in the community and literally to the uttermost parts of the earth? I was challenged to read a couple years ago a book by the name of The Rubicons of Revitalization. It's by Mark Clifford and Kenneth Priest. Revitalization has become somewhat of a buzzword among Southern Baptists in particular that what we're doing is trying to help churches to revitalize their communities, revitalize their church so that they can meet the need of their community. And I want to tell you, my church was one that was in that need of revitalization. It was in rapid decline because here was an all-Anglo church in an increasingly diverse population. How do we revitalize in order to meet the needs of the community? Now, I also realized that our church is not alone in that process. I was seven years a trustee for Lifeway, and I served on the research committee where LifeWay research is done. And LifeWay research says that 75% of churches in America are declining and 30% of churches in America are dying. Those are incredibly sobering statistics that there are churches that are closing their doors in rapid succession. A recent president of our convention, the Georgia Baptist Convention, by the name of Mike Stone, was giving his convention address one year and he made the comment, he said, in Georgia Baptist, the average church baptized one teenager last year. 
Now, we have 3,600 Baptist churches in the state of Georgia, and it was appalling to me to think that in the average of those 3,600 churches, that the average church only baptized one teenager all year last year. He said, matter of fact, if you take the median, the, the median baptism is zero. Now, what that means is that if you were to list all the churches in the Georgia Baptist Convention, all 3,600 of them, and you started at the bottom and went up, you'd have to go past 1,800 of them before you'd find the first one that had baptized even one. 1,800 Southern Baptist churches in Georgia didn't baptize one teenager last year. That means what you experienced this morning makes you not only in the upper half of what would be in Georgia Baptist thought, but probably in the upper 10% of what Southern Baptists are experiencing. These are dire days in the life of our convention. And he pleaded with our convention, something must change or we're going to die. Something must change, or we're going to die. Several years ago, I was reading a report, a report by, the name, by a man by the name of Alan Dultzman. He actually wrote a book on this. It was in Fast Company magazine, and he said, of 10 patients, when confronted with, change your behavior or die. For instance, stop smoking, eat right, Exercise a little. Ten patients change your behavior or die. Nine of them will choose not to change. Now, why is that? Because death is a lousy motivation. Death is a lousy motivation. Many people would rather die than change. And I'm finding there are many churches that would rather die then change. Now, here's what's happening in my city. In Atlanta, you can divide things between ITP and OTP. ITP means inside the perimeter. There's a 285 loop that goes around the perimeter of Atlanta, and people are identified as either your ITP, inside the perimeter of Atlanta, or OTP, outside the perimeter of Atlanta. We are just barely outside the perimeter of Atlanta. We're OTP as a church. And in 1966, according to the North American Mission Board, there were 166 Southern Baptist churches, ITP, inside the perimeter of Atlanta. Now, there's a rapidly changing demographic of what was happening in sociological settings 166 Southern Baptist churches. I remember when I was a seminary student in the early 80s. Everybody wanted to go to Atlanta. Everybody wanted to be a part of this vast, exploding population and Baptist churches galore. 166 Southern Baptist churches inside the perimeter of Atlanta. 50 years later, in 2016, 36 of those churches still exist. 36 out of 166. What happened? Neighborhoods changed and churches didn't. Communities became different populations, and the church didn't do anything to reach them. And the fear of death was a lousy motivator. My friends, the fear of death does not need to be the motivation for a church to change. The gospel needs to be the motivation for a church to change. The community that needs the gospel needs to be the motivation for a church to change. 
A community that is desperately crying out for the message of Jesus Christ needs to be the motivation for a church to change. I want to share with you the Rubicons of the Apostle Paul. And they became my Rubicon. What are the things of which I say are the line in the sand? What are the things of which I say, this is the point of no return. I'm not turning back. I, I would give my life for these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Now, we used to do this when I was here as pastor. I don't know if you still do, but you'll make me feel at home. Would you stand for the reading of Scripture? Let's stand together. Guys, I'll let you put the Scripture up there. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. To win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak. In order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I might by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I might share in this blessing. Let's pray together. Father, I pray your blessing on the reading of your holy word. I pray, God, that we would set up our own Rubicons of faith today. I pray, God, that we would do so for the sake of the gospel. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. There are three Rubicons I want to share with you today. The first is the Rubicon of preference. The Rubicon of preference. In verse 19, he said, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave. I tell people what the Apostle Paul began with. He said, here's my, here's my status. Here's my Facebook status. You know, people say, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling feeling." excited. Well, here, here he says, here's my Facebook status. I'm independent. I, I am free. No one can tell me what to do. One of the first indicators that he was probably a Baptist. Nobody can tell me what to do. You know, someone once told me, you can always tell a Baptist. You just can't tell him much. And uh, I, I have found that to be true because we're an independent people uh, we pride ourselves on the priesthood of the believer. We, we always say that, uh, you know, we, we do not have any form of doctrine of which can, can be uh, given to a church. A church has its own authority, its own ability to make its own decisions. Uh, you can just see how that the priesthood of the believer uh, falls into what the Apostle Paul oftentimes said of himself. But one of the things that we found is, we love choice. You know, it's a matter of choice. We love uh, 130 channels on the television set. We love 31 flavors at Baskin-Robbins. We, you know, we, we want to have a choice. Everybody wants to have a choice. But as one pastor put it, we've got Goldilocks Christians coming these days. You know the story of Goldilocks and the three bears? 
And he, she got in the bed and said it was too soft, and another one said it was too hard, and the porridge was too hot, and then the porridge was too cold. Uh, we've got some Goldilocks Christians in our world today who say, you know, well, the sermon was too long, and the singing was too loud, and the sanctuary was too cold, and, uh, you know, the people weren't, weren't so hot either. You know, so, you know, I, we just have some Goldilocks Christians today. But Paul didn't leave it there. He didn't say, I'm independent, I'm a free thinker, I like my choice, I'm free. But he said, also in my service, I'm very inclusive. I choose to serve everyone. I am free, but I choose to be inclusive. I told you about how incredibly diverse our church has become. We have the largest Korean population east of the Mississippi in our county. And uh, we have uh, three Koreans on our church staff, uh, serving on our church staff. And I've learned a lot about Korean culture. For instance, you may know that uh, in most Asian cultures, it is considered taboo to ever wear your shoes inside the home. And so oftentimes I'll go to one of our Korean family's home and I'll, I'll come to the door and you see just a pile of shoes. Everybody's shoes are lined up at the door. Now, we have had the exchange of conversations about culture where that someone will ask me, says, uh, Pastor, do you, do you do that at your home? I said, no, we do not do that at our home. Uh, but I will do it at your home because I do not want to offend you and I don't want to bring any harm to our relationship. Now, I could come into a, a house and say, you know, well, this is not my culture, it's not the way in which I do things, and it's not the way in which I, I go about things. But instead of doing that, what I do is, I make this a matter of conscience. That it's not about my head, it's about my heart. And it's about my desire to be able to open up an avenue of conversation and to open up an opportunity for ministry with someone else. Yes, I have a choice that is given to me by my free will to do whatever I would like to do, but in my service I've become inclusive so that I have a conscience that I will do what will begin to give the gospel to someone else. And when you do that, you have crossed the Rubicon of preference. You have made the decision that this is something that's more than about me, it's about others. Second Rubicon. Not only the Rubicon of preference, but the Rubicon of deference. Look what it says in verse 20. He says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews, to those under the law like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law, to those who are without the law like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. I tell people, Paul would have been a great domino player. You do realize that dominoes is a game. My kids think that dominoes is just something you line up and then knock down. Yet there is a game that goes with those tiles. And that game was a matching game. When you had, when you had a six, you had to match it with another six. When you had a four, you had to match it with The whole idea was that you became like the other tile. And I think Paul would have been a great domino player because he says, what I'm doing is I'm becoming like those around me so that I might win those around me. He says, here's two principles. One, we welcome others. 
by doing something familiar. We welcome others by doing something familiar. It's amazing to me, I do not speak any language other than English. But I have learned the word hello in about 16 different languages now. It is amazing when someone hears their heart language and knows that someone is making the effort to be able to meet their needs. I told you we have 50 nationalities in our church. Our, our church is lined with 50 flags that represent those 50 nations that now call this church home. And I've watched across the years as people have come in and they'll sit in the balcony or sit on the floor level and scan through the entire perimeter of our church, seeing if their nation's flag is up there, as if to say, is there someone here from my place? Is there someone here that we can begin an immediate conversation with? And then we celebrate different culture, culture holidays in our church. In two weeks, we'll be celebrating India's Independence Day. India's Independence Day is August the 15th, and we have a large South Asian Indian population. Matter of fact, there's a Hindu temple 100 yards from our church. I've been told that wherever there is a Hindu temple, within a five-mile radius around it, is considered to be holy ground. And so Indian families are moving to our community in droves in order to be on the holy ground around the temple. You know where they're putting their, their preschoolers? In our Christian preschool. So that we can have the opportunity to share with them about Jesus and learn scriptural songs and be able to invite them to church for Indian, India's Independence Day. When we first did India's Independence Day, I was in an Indian restaurant sitting talking to the owner of the restaurant and telling him, we're going to celebrate India's, Indep India's Independence Day. The restaurant's owner's name is Nadeem. Nadeem told me that he is a Muslim. And he says, I am so impressed that you would celebrate a foreign holiday. He said, who is going to be singing the Indian nat National Anthem? And so I just looked at him and said, I guess you will. <laughs> and he says, you'd let me come and sing in your church? I said, absolutely, if you'll come sing the national anthem. And so we had a Muslim man singing the Indian national anthem at our Indian Independence Day service that year. But get this. Nadeeb, a wealthy business owner in our community, well-connected with all the Indians that are a part of our community, invited a, a, an enormous amount of people to come, and then also invited TV South Asia, which is a local telecast that links up with Indian disper dispersion uh, others in other countries. Our service was telecast in 65 countries because Nadeeb came and sang the Indian National Anthem. We welcome others by doing something familiar. Now that's true not just across cultural barriers. It's true with your neighbor. It's true with your work associate. It's true with even the black sheep in your family. That you do something familiar to bring them in the fold. Then the second principle. We win others by doing something flexible. I've shared with you that we sing in different languages in our church, and uh, we sing sometimes in Spanish, sometimes in English, sometimes in Korean, sometimes in, in Mandarin. 
Uh, we're about ready to call a new worship pastor next week. Uh, he is a graduate of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is Indonesian. Been in the United States for the past 15 years. Uh, been serving at a First Baptist Church in uh, county seat in Missouri. And we're so incredibly grateful uh, to have him coming to our place. Our youngest daughter, Laurel, graduated from Indiana Wesleyan University. I consider that one of the great uh, Christian schools, not only in the Midwest, but in the entire United States. And I read an article that was written uh, in one of her uh, alumni magazines that I thought was incredible. Here's a school that's predominantly Anglo and uh, in the Midwest, and they're training students how to do multilingual, multicultural worship because they know that that is the trend that is happening in almost every major city in America. Do you realize that by the year 2040, every major city in America will be majority-minority, meaning that there will be no majority people group in that city? 2040, that's not too many years away. In Revelation chapter 7 and in verse 9, the picture of worship as it takes place in heaven says, And this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with branches in their hands. What we're really trying to do is we're trying to say, we would like to do some heaven practice. We'd like to say, let's all gather and let's worship together and do it in your own language, whatever it may be, and let's do so because to win others by just being flexible enough to allow people to do what they do. You know what? I'm not a demonstrative worshiper. Uh, I, don't, I don't shout. I don't jump up and down. I don't raise my hand often, but occasionally do. But I sure do love the people who do that. And I sure do enjoy watching them express themselves in worship. We have people in our church that come from Africa who are very demonstrative worshipers. We also have people in our church that come from very quiet and very reflective kinds of worship. The church ought to be big enough and ought to be flexible enough to allow everyone to worship the way in which God puts on their heart. Well, when you do so, you cross a Rubicon. I'm crossing a Rubicon of deference. I defer to you. That may not be my preference. That may not be the way in which I would do it, but I look and praise God for what God is doing in you. I've crossed a Rubicon of preference. I've crossed a Rubicon of deference. One final thing. You need to cross the Rubicon of reverence. Cross the Rubicon of reverence. Look what it says in verse 24. Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race? I'm sorry, verse 23. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I might share in the blessing. Paul said, here's why I do what I do. I get people occasionally ask me, you know, Pastor, why do you do what you do? Why, why, why are you so adamant, so passionate about this? Well, first of all, it's because of the gospel. 
I really do believe that the gospel is for all people. I don't just say that. I really do believe that. When 2 Peter 3.9 says uh, that he's not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance, I've got underlined in my Bible the word all. I believe that God wants everyone to come to him. Now, everyone won't come to him, but I do believe because of the gospel, because of the gospel, God desires all people to come to him. Now, if we make our differences into our enemies, we will never see the opportunity to make our differences into the gospel change. Let me say that again. If you see anybody who's different than you, they can be different politically. By the way, a lot of that going on right now. Amen? I mean, I've got some friends on Facebook that love tearing me up one side and down the other. We've got these differences politically. I see someone different than me, and if I make my differences my enemies, I miss the opportunity for the gospel to bring change. I cannot allow differences to forsake the gospel. And because of the gospel, it's the right thing to do. Now, the second thing he says in verse 23, I do this not only because of the gospel, I do it because of the blessings. I believe that there are tremendous blessings that come when you cross the Rubicon of reverence. Reggie McNeil is a prolific author of whom I've become a great fan. Uh, this is a book that I, I picked up just simply because of the title. I've got to read it for you. He says, uh, why, we must get, um, why We Must Give Up on Fixing the Church. Now, I picked that up and I said, okay, why do I need to give up on fixing the church? And he tells a story in this book that is to illustrate the principle of what he's going through. He says, there was a group of guys that uh, were in a Sunday school class together, and they decided that they'd take among themselves a project to be a blessing to the community. And so they were prolific coffee drinkers. I've got some prolific coffee drinkers in my church that uh, uh, make it to Starbucks about three times a day. And and so uh, they decided that every time they'd go to Starbucks, they would ask the barista, ask the coffee maker, is there something that I can pray for you that God could bless you? Something that, that just I could pray for you for God to bless you. And so they do that every time. And so they decided they'd branch out other than just their, their own Starbucks. I don't know about here, but there's a Starbucks every 100 yards in, in Atlanta. And so they'd go to another Starbucks, say, is there something I can pray for you? Reggie McNeil said, this gentleman who had begun that ministry among his Sunday school class, just a group of guys saying, you know, let's be a blessing to our community. He said, I'd gone to the neighboring city. He's gone to Cincinnati, Ohio, and he was in Cincinnati. He was in a, in a uh, Starbucks, and he says, I need to do the same thing here. So he asked the barista, is there something that I can pray for you that God could bless you? And the guy came out from around the counter and, and told, hey, everybody, come here, come here. One of those blessings, guys, is in our Starbucks. <laughs> Evidently, what had happened is that in, 
in team meetings and in corporate meetings, they had begun to share, have you heard about these guys that are going from Starbucks to Starbucks asking how that they can pray for their families to be blessed? And there's just testimony after testimony of people whose lives have been changed and things of which had happened. People had been healed and people had seen things happen in their lives. And they said, what is it that's going on that these people are asking? How can we pray for God to bless you? Now, Reggie McNeil in his book shares what I think about passionately when I think about this. People ought to think of the church as those blessing people that when they get out in the community, you know, those Grace Baptist Church people, they bless me every time they come in this place. You know, I would love for the church to have such a reputation that we don't have to fix the church because we've got the testimony of what God has done in us so that he can unleash his power to make that life-changing experience to anyone whom we come in contact with. And so why do I do what I do? I do it because of the gospel, because it's the right thing to do, but I do it also because of the blessing. I do it because of the blessing that God is in the process of doing this and rewarding me in what I do. Now, I want to give a word of warning. When you cross a Rubicon, it's dangerous. It's perilous. I think back to Caesar when he crossed the Rubicon. Did he know that uh, war was going to break out? He probably did. Did he know that there would be a loss of life? He probably at least suspected that. When you cross a Rubicon, it's perilous. Uh, I know pastors that have lost their ministry crossing a Rubicon. I know churches that have been misunderstood and, and mistaken. And uh, I, It's a perilous time to cross a Rubicon. But I think back to those two definitions at the beginning. I'm reaching a point of no return and there's no turning back. And I'm so passionate about this that I've got to share it. The reward outweighs the peril. I believe that there's a blessing that comes to churches who say, we're going to reach our community. I believe that's what the heart has been for grace for the last hundred years. You want to know why this church has been here for a hundred years? Because this church has been serious about making a difference in this community. You want to know why this church has been here for 100 years? Well, as this church says, all people are important to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why this church has been here for 100 years? Because there's been a faithful preaching of the Word of God from this pulpit, and I've known many of the pastors both before me and since me, and I know that there has been a faithful, steady diet of God's Word, and they have persistently said it's because the gospel that we are where we are. That, my friends, is the Rubicon that I challenge you to cross. And God will bless you with a hundred more years if you do so. Let's pray together. Father, I pray your blessings on your holy word today. I pray, God, that we indeed would be people unafraid to cross the Rubicon. Father, I pray that we would continue to be 
a people that reaches all people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us for another service with Grace Baptist Church. Connect with us using the social media links on our website, gbcevansville.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week.